Welcome to the latest episode of Back to the Bins. We're so glad you could join us. Whether you're a brand new listener or you've been... Uh, God damn it, I can't talk. Whether you're a brand new listener or you've been here from the very beginning, we appreciate your patronage and hope that you'll continue coming back each and every week for more Back Issue goodness. I am your co-host, Scott Gardner, and please welcome back to this show, the host of the Avengers Assemble podcast, my pal, Will Sanchez. Hey, 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 hey. So how's it going, man? You doing all right? Pretty good, pretty good. Just uh, sniffing paint fumes. Ah, there you go. That'll work for this show. <laughs> That'll hook you right up. Okay, so I lost the coin toss. I go first this time, and we are going back to 1989. There is no month on this issue, so I don't know what month this came out. So we just know the year 1989. This is the Revengers number six, not the Avengers, the Revengers. Oh, you had me going there, Scott. Oh, uh, not the Avengers, not the Revengers. Uh, yeah. Number six. This is by Continuity Comics. Cover on this one is a really nice cover by uh, Neil Adams. You know, who's a who's a god in the comics industry, um, and also Larry Stroman. I'm assuming that. Adams did the uh, the pencils and Stroman did the inks, but it may very well be the other way around. It just has both their, their names on it. But it's a really awesome cover of Megalith, and he's all cut and scarred. It actually looks like he's been in a fight with Wolverine by the by like the deep cuts on him and stuff. And he's like collapsed to his knees, and his shirt's all ripped up, and he's all cut and, and scarred and bleeding out, and it's really nasty. And he's surrounded by all these really weird-looking characters who I had assumed were the Revengers, but it turns out as we get into the story that, no, they are not the Revengers at all. So uh, this issue is written by Neil Adams and Elliot Megan, who uh, they left the S out. That's actually Elliot S. Megan. S. Megan, yeah, right. Yeah, great guy, by the way. I had the, the pleasure of meeting him years and years and years ago and having him sign my... Uh, my uh, Last Son of Krypton and Miracle Monday books, and he told me that Last Son of Krypton financed his first house. I thought that was pretty awesome. But yeah, really, oh nice, really nice guy. Was he the editor of Superman? He, uh, I don't know if he ever edited. I don't remember honestly, but I know he wrote a hell of a lot of Superman uh, stories. Right. He wrote both those novels, and uh, you know, if you ever get a chance, Miracle Monday, hell of a good book, really, really good book. You know, it's a it's a prose book, you know, a, a oh, okay. regular regular novel, but it's really fantastic. Um, art in this uh, in this is interior is by Larry Stroman, inks by Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Original cover price was two dollar, and uh, we start out the story. There is no title for this story, by the way, which I thought was kind of unusual. We start out this story, and Megalith is having one of his workouts. He's got this just massive and ridiculously overloaded. Um, barbell dumbbell whatever you call it and he's you know doing the workout and he's all ripped muscles and everything and he slams the bar the the barbell to the floor after he's done with it and we get a shot of the floor actually like visibly creaking and breaking under the strain of this massive weight that he's working out with intercut with this workout is this running news report that's done very, very, very much like Dark Knight Returns style with like a little picture of the newscaster and then shots all around New York City of 
weird weather and all kinds of weird phenomenon and accidents are happening and people are being hurt and maimed and all this stuff, all amidst uh, uh, Megalith having his little workout and everything. And we see all kinds of really ingenious ways in which Megalith works out and has to create new workouts for himself because he's at such a power level that that normal weights are no challenge to him at all. So he has to be very creative in the ways that he comes up with challenging new workouts. And then he, you know, as he finishes up his workout, he goes, I guess it's out his front door or out to a balcony or something. The, the perspective is a little strange, but somehow he's able to look out and see New York City in the distance, and he realizes that there's some sort of unnatural storm raging, and he decides to, uh, well, he calls upon Armor and Silver Streak, who I assume are other Revengers, maybe the only other Revengers, um, and they're not there, so he decides he's going to try to deal with whatever the situation is that he sees happening over New York, and then you know he watches a little bit of TV and he sees all these reports. And he's, you know, he wants to take an active hand when all of a sudden his mind is touched by this weird, kind of wispy, hard to glimpse demon type thing that basically shows him that, that the world is in danger and that he has to take an active hand. So he can't seem to get a hold of the rest of the Revengers, so he takes this little weird air car, kind of speeder, land speeder looking car thing flies into the city and you know we continue to see weird phenomenon happening and breaking out and and people are starting to act strangely and do weird things and it's a little bit hard to follow to be honest what keeps happening with you know we keep being introduced to these people and being given a name and then they'll do something bizarre like there's a guy in a toga that you know they're at this toga party and all of a sudden he he says the air to be floating alone and he kind of seems to drift off and but it's just little snippets of things like that that don't seem to add into the the overall story so i'm not sure where that stuff was going i don't know if that's something from a prior issue or something that will play out in the next issue it, it just there's a lot of these little character interludes that don't seem to play in immediately in this story anyway at the un building this big robot-looking dude appears out of nowhere and starts threatening the people of the Earth, basically, that you know they need to submit to his will or you know face his wrath when Megalith shows up. And, you know, he's just a regular guy. You know, he's, he's basically like a super, super strong guy. Yet still, he commences to just beat the shit out of this robot guy, bare knuckle, which is pretty awesome. I mean, the art's fantastic of him. What's that? Uh, nothing, nothing. Okay. So it's pretty pretty neat, you know. The art's really fantastic of this normal guy, you know, just who's just abnormally strong. Uh, Looks like sounds like Wonder Man or something. He's uh, it's hard to describe him. He he's I've always interpreted him as as Neil Adams' interpretation of Superman. If Superman became Superman the way Batman became Batman, which is just by working out and making himself into that character. That's kind of almost what Megalith is. He's he's like Superman level, but just through the fact that he's worked out and he's achieved this like mind-body connection kind of thing. 
Does he so, down like a lot of protein shakes? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's he's taking a lot of steroids, and it's you know, his his nads are now like marbles, <laughs> and he's you know got no wiener to speak of. But you know, he's massively fucking strong. So yeah, it's you know, it's it's the trade off, I guess. But. <laughs> But, <laughs> but you know, it's still really cool. You know, I mean, he he's not invulnerable or anything, I guess, was the point I'm making. Yet he's still bare knuckle is beating the shit out of this robot. So that's pretty cool. So, you know, it, it's been just a, a wicked battle for him. But he does take the robot down in the end. And the news media rushes in. Evidently, this is the first time that, that the, the real world um, is become aware of Megalith. And he actually drops his real name to the press, which I thought was interesting. And he almost seems like he does it because he's, you know, he's worn out and kind of stunned from the fight and maybe not thinking in his in his right mind. So I'm, I'm actually wondering, does that ever play out later? You know, the fact that he actually spilled, you know, his, his real identity out, you know, the first time he was interviewed. So I'd be curious to see how that plays out. Well, as he's walking away from the scene of the battle, all of a sudden this really... Um, girly man looking dude <laughs> climbs out of the robot and commen- commences to beat the shit out of him. So, you know, I, I'm kind of left feeling like, well, if this guy was so powerful inside the suit, then why was he wearing the suit that could be taken down so easily in the first place? Doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. We get another one of these really weird interludes where this guy is uh, uh, dancing um, and he's in a rehearsal to try to get the part for uh, a part in a chorus line, and all of a sudden he starts flying, and he just kind of floats off. And again, <laughs> it doesn't seem to play into anything happening in this issue, so it's really strange, some of these interludes. Mm. And Megalith basically is trying to make his way into the UN um, to to stop whatever is going on in there, whatever the, the threat to humanity is or whatever that he's been warned about. And he basically encounters one super powerful person after another who may or may not have some connection to these weird character interludes that we keep seeing. It, it, they, they don't appear to, yet each time we see one, then um, Megalith is encountering a new supervillain. So... Yeah, there may be a connection. There may not be a connection. I, I really, I, I could not figure that part of it out. And you know, the the whole story proceeds, and eventually he gets to the big boss battle at the end of it. And uh, it starts out as this weird, like spidery, other dimensional alien-looking thing. But I guess it's not really made clear. But it almost looks like maybe that was all just an illusion cast for I don't know, maybe inspire fear in megalith or something but the guy is really just this guy who looks kind of like a like a doctor strange you know sort of wizard character that uh that megalith has to fight and you know he he takes this guy down moves on to the next guy so it's just villain after villain after villain that he has to fight to a point where they eventually wear him down by the end of the issue He's battered, bruised, bloody, you know, looking pretty much like he looked on the cover to this issue. They sucker punch him from behind and take him down, and he's pretty much whooped at the end of the story. He just can't take the the pounding anymore. So in order to try to regain some sort of control over the situation, you know, once he kind of catches his second wind, he suddenly grabs one of the bad guys who's this werewolf-looking guy, 
puts him in a headlock, you know, and I mean, now Megalith, I don't know if you, you've ever seen the character, but he's massive, you know, he's got these great big arms, and he's just a massive bodybuilder-esque looking character, so he's got this werewolf guy in a headlock, and just the muscles, you know, just of him simply, you know, making, you know, making a, a, a an L shape with his arm, the massive muscles he's got is like squeezing this guy's head, and he's going, get back! Get back, or I swear to God, I'll snap his neck, and that's pretty much where the uh, where the issue ends. You know, to where it's a cliffhanger where you know you're left to believe that you know if these guys don't back off or whatever, that that megalith's fully prepared to take this guy out. Um, here's the tough part: I can't decide whether I really liked this issue or not. I didn't hate it, but right off the bat. Well, no, not actually right off the bat. About about midway through the book, it suddenly occurred to me, I kept thinking, wow, you know, this this is really, you know, the art is really good, but this is a step down for Neil Adams. And it honestly wasn't until I was preparing to do my notes for this show that I realized that this actually, actually isn't Neil Adams at all, which is the whole damn reason I bought this book. <laughs> <laughs> because I discovered Megalith with Megalith number one, which you know was right or, you know just a short time before this issue came out, which was the origin of Megalith. You know, it, it told the whole story of this young kid who, you know, grew up working out and everything, and eventually, you know, per, w- w- he's basically the perfect human being. He he uh, established what is called in the story the mind body connection. So he basically worked out and worked out and worked out to a point to where he's he's achieved physical perfection for for human beings. So he's he's like Superman level through his own training. And I, I, something about that really appealed to me. I liked that first issue and and I liked the character and I've always wanted to to read more of him. So, you know, I've managed to track down just a handful of issues here or there, but I've never really made time to get back to them. So you know, this one came up just at random as an issue to review, and I was really excited. I was like, oh, Megalith, I've been meaning to get back and read this. And, you know, the cover's by Neil Adams, really cool-looking cover. But then to get about halfway into the story and realize, oh, geez, this isn't even Neil Adams, it kind of kind of took the wind out of my sails just a little bit in my enthusiasm for the story. So maybe that colored my perceptions a bit. But also... You know, it's not that the story wasn't good or anything, but the the little vignettes with the with the humans freaking out and all, I can't make heads or tails of that. I can't figure out are these guys supposed to be the guys that become the villains that he battles in the UN, or is this shit playing out somewhere else that I'm just not privy to or what? It was very confusing and it seemed like it was just kind of a waste of space in the book. So I don't know. And ultimately the the true test of any comic for me is whether at the end of the story, if it's a cliffhanger like in this case, whether I'm curious to continue. Honestly, I I didn't really give a shit. When I got to the end of this, I was like, I don't know. This story just wasn't very engaging somehow. It didn't really interest me all that much. So while I like Megalith, while I, I would love to read more adventures of him, this particular story didn't grab me. Plus, I still can't figure out why the hell is this called the Revengers? He's the only dude in it. <laughs> so I don't know if this was just, you know, I'm sure that somewhere in Avengers history, there's probably an issue of the Avengers that's a solo story. I'm sure there is. 
But it's just for me, for this being my first issue of the Revengers, I was a little bit let down by at the end of the story. I still don't know who the hell the Revengers are. None of them are in it. So <laughs> just a really mixed bag of emotions with this particular issue. Well, Scott, I have to ask you a question, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but how the fuck did you stumble upon this book? Like, <laughs> you mean the it- Revengers? I, seriously? I mean, did you find this in the, in the garbage bin? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a fan of of Neil Adams, and I'm a fan of this megalith character. So, I mean, that that was simply how I how I picked it up. As far as you know, how does it wind up being the issue I did for this for this episode? That's that's totally because I I picked the the issues. Well, I, I'll tell the truth. Nine times out of ten, I use a random number generator to to pick the issues for this show, simply because it forces me to read things. I might not pick on my own, even though they they are in my own collection. Mm. You know, I mean, through the process of buying massive collections and shit like that, I have wound up with comics that, quite frankly, are shit. You know, that left <laughs> I think to we my all have. yeah. I mean, everybody does. I think anybody with a decent sized collection, you've probably got issues in your collection that are like, God, why the fuck did I buy this? You know. <laughs> And so, you know, I want to make sure that I read some of those kind of issues for the show because sometimes I'll be pleasantly surprised like I was with that Wildcats issue. And then other times I'll I'll be like, oh, my God, this is fucking horrible. And those make for fun, you know, entertaining things sometimes, too, when you can just really rag on something really good. (laughs) So, you know, while I'm not ragging on this, I am less than impressed with it, too. I'm I'm disappointed ultimately because it's, you know, the, the main reason I bought it was because it was more megalith by neil adams or so i thought and then it turns out it's not at all you know so yeah i'm I'm let down by that but will i continue to seek out megalith yeah i I will because i'm still intrigued by the character i think i think he is ultimately a pretty fucking cool concept a self-made superman i think that's an interesting premise yeah for the record i was just joking with this guy i didn't i wasn't trying to rag on you oh no no i'm glad for the no i'm glad for the question no I, i i appreciate it i think that's pretty cool no, it does sound like I have a really cool premise, and um, I'm actually kind of interested in this now somehow. I don't know. <laughs> well, while, while I would not recommend this particular issue, I highly recommend Megalith number one. And I'm sure that if you if you keep an eye out for it at, I don't know, like conventions or what, in the 50-cent bin or quarter bin, I'm sure you can find it. So, you know, it, it's out there to be had on the cheap. You know, at least read the first issue. I, I, I think you would enjoy it. it. It is a solid book. Yeah, it sounds like it has a lot of interesting concepts, and uh, I don't know. It seems like something that w- that would happen maybe in like an Alan Moore like ABC book or something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, one other thing about continuity comics, real quick though, one of the things that I think may have have contributed to the to, to my memory anyway, continuity comics was was really just a flash in the pan. I think their coloring process sucks. It's got that weird fucking. Do you remember old Charlton comics had that kind of strange color to them? And I've heard a legend over the years. I have no idea if this is true or not, but I had heard a legend that that Charlton comics were actually printed on on a printer that was actually used for making like cereal boxes and shit. Holy crap. I don't know if that's really true, but I could totally believe that story. And that – seems to almost be the same type of thing with this. I, I, I don't mind the paper that it's printed on, but that coloring, pro- it's just weird. It's all like fucking... 
I don't know. I was going to say day glow colors, and I'm not sure that that's exactly right. But it's it's like it's too vibrant for the paper that it's on. Yeah, it, it sounds like it sounds like '90s, like a like a, yes. like a staple '90s coloring. You know, very very much so. Yes, exactly. It really is '90s. The ni- it, this is like a preview of what the '90s were going to be. <laughs> yeah. Not in well, the, I'll, not I'll, in the art, you know. The the art is very old school Neil Adams styled. So the art's not a '90s preview, but the coloring process and the paper, yes, very much where the where the '90s were headed. Yeah, coloring, you know, it's a very important thing, and it can sometimes make or break even the artwork. You know, it, it, it has such a profound effect sometimes on the artwork that even these days, it's kind of a a, a huge factor in in, the, mm-hmm. in comics. I think this is more most easily summed up, you know, if you can imagine artwork with just way, way too much orange and yellow, that's the problem with this book. It's it's that vibrant orange and yellow that seems to be, you know, just overwhelming on, on every page. That's the problem with it. And it, and it gives it that, that kind of day glow, color, you know, day glow look to it. And it's just... On this style paper, where it was still that transition from the old newsprint into what you know we would eventually get with like Baxter paper and then into modern paper, you know, if if you've ever seen this same type of printing process on that Baxter paper, where it just looks too damn bright, oh yeah, that that's what this is, and it it just doesn't lend itself to this art style, I think, because I think the art's solid. It's the coloring that that's not so hot, but. Anyway, let's talk about what you brought today. All right, well, transitioning from Scott's Mercy Read to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the comic that I picked for today. 